The occasion of this morning's sermon is, of course, a very joyous one. Six years ago, in 2017, we ordained two elders. Uh, Pastor College was ordained in May of 2017 and Pastor Garrett in November of 2017. And now six years later, we have the privilege of adding another pastor to our number. And it's a special blessing for our church because Hayden is a homegrown pastor. Uh, He grew up in this church, and now he is going to minister in this church. And as Hayden begins his ministry here, uh, there are two sides to consider, two sides of that coin of his ministry. Hayden must minister to us, and we must honor and submit to Hayden. And so to that end, it's appropriate that we preach a sermon that briefly reviews Hayden's duties as a minister to us and our duties as those to whom he is ministering towards him. To enter into the service of Christ in the gospel ministry is no small thing. And as Hayden begins his work in this church, he begins the care of souls. He begins the announcing of condemnation of sin as well as salvation from sin. It's a stewardship. It's a caring for someone else's prized and precious possessions and it is a high and holy calling. Well, I want to consider a text that will help Hayden and all of the pastors to begin, to sustain, and to finish in this calling. And that text is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, particularly verses 4 through 6. How can a minister begin, sustain, and finish in the calling of the ministry? Paul helps us a great deal in 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 6. This is the word of God. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So Hayden, as we draw your attention or direct our attention to you in the first part of the sermon, as you begin your service as a captain in Christ's army, you need to know at least three things. Three things. In the first place, I am a minister of Christ and his covenant. I am a minister of Christ and his covenant. Paul says so in verse 6. He says that we are ministers of a new covenant. And as you probably know, Hayden, the word translated minister there is diakonos. You are a servant, a minister of... And note, a minister, not a magister, a captain, not a king. Whom do you serve? And in whose name do you serve? Well, it's Christ. He is your pattern. He is your example. He is your commander. You are not a minister of the elders. You are not a minister of the congregation. And what I mean by that is this, in the words of Nehemiah Cox, Ministers 
though they are not of men, that is, they receive not their authority from men, yet they are by men, so as to be brought into their office by the call of the church. The congregation led by the elders, we have brought you into this office. You have your office by men, but you do not have your office from men. That, your authority, your commission, comes from Jesus Christ. You are a minister of Christ, and you minister in his name. But to say that you are a minister of Christ is not simply that you have received your authority from him and your commission and calling from him, and that you minister in his name and by his authority. It also means that Christ is what or whom you minister. I am a minister of Christ. It's both a subjective and objective genitive. He is the subject and object. He is the one by whom and from whom you minister, but he is also the one whom you minister. You are a minister of Christ. Christ is whom you minister to his people. You speak for him. You teach and enforce his will. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5, if you just flip over there for just a moment, he said, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. This is to be a minister of Christ in both, both that subjective and objective sense. You are a minister of Christ or a servant for Jesus' sake, but the one whom you proclaim is Jesus Christ as Lord. So as a minister of Christ, Hayden, you should declare Jesus and present Jesus to his people. He is your message. But to say something like, you ought to minister Christ is the kind of vagary that sounds lovely and is lovely, but doesn't say very much specific. It is general. So what does it mean to minister Christ, and how do you do it? In other words, what are the means that Christ has given to you to minister in his name to his people? If we just say, minister Christ, everyone say, yes, that's wonderful. But if I say, and how does one do that? <laughs> then you may wonder, uh, okay, it's not enough to simply speak in generalities. It is not enough to simply know that you are a minister with authority from Christ, and Christ is the one whom you declare. There is more that you need to know. And so to minister Christ in more detail is to minister his covenant, or to administer his covenant. To minister Christ is to administer his covenant because this is the means or this is the way in which he has ordained that he is to be ministered or administered to his people. So think about, let's go into for more detail, narrow our focus, zoom in. What are the, the parts or the pieces of the new covenant? Well, if you declare the covenant, if you announce the new covenant, then what you're going to do is to announce the good news of the gospel. What are the terms or the promises, the details of the covenant itself? Jeremiah 31, Hebrews 8, Hebrews 10. What does God promise if you declare and publish and announce the new covenant? What are you promising? What are you declaring? That God will remember our sins no more. He will be merciful to our iniquities and he will remember our sins no more. But where is this forgiveness of sins and salvation found? 
We say, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you repent of your sins and turn to God and believe in Jesus Christ, then in Jesus Christ you will receive this mercy and forgiveness that is promised and announced in the new covenant. In other words, to declare the new covenant is nothing other than to declare Jesus Christ. To administer the covenant by announcing its terms, by announcing its promises, is nothing other than to announce Jesus Christ. People think of covenants in terms of contracts or agreements. There are two parties and they agree on something. Covenants from God are not take-it-or-leave-it type things. God confronts us with his covenant, and and yet it is two-sided. The person must agree, the person must believe, the person must close with Christ, as many have said. And so it is your duty to present Christ to them in his new covenant and say his promise to you is this. If you believe in his name, if you trust in him and him alone for your salvation, you will have the forgiveness of your sins. But to minister the new covenant is more than just announcing its promises or the details of that covenant. To minister the new covenant is also to administer the sacraments of the covenant. Pop quiz for the congregation, how many sacraments are there? There are two, two sacraments. The sacraments of the new covenant are baptism and the Lord's Supper. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. And what we mean when we say sacrament is that God has taken promises from his covenant and he has made them visible with physical, real-world things that we participate in or partake of as a means of making the covenant visible to us and giving us something to partake of or participate in that reminds us of the covenant and its promises. So think about baptism and the Lord's Supper as visible means of participating in the covenant and its promises. What does baptism portray? Well, it portrays a number of things, but it portrays death and new life. It portrays cleansing and regeneration. It portrays a washing and a complete renovation of the person. But what is the most, what is the fundamental symbolism of baptism? It's seeing what Jesus has already done first. It starts with a symbolism of Christ that Jesus died and rose again with newness of life, that Jesus was the one who was spotless, who was without any stain, who was sinless and perfect and holy, and that we, in union with Christ, we, are, we die with him, we are raised with him, and we are spotless and sinless and have new life in him. So to administer baptism is again to minister Christ because baptism is nothing other than principally and primarily a picture of Jesus Christ and then that person who goes into the waters of baptism, their union with him. But it starts with him. And the Lord's Supper, of course, what does it symbolize? Well, we look at the bread and we look at the wine and we say, behold the body and behold the blood of our crucified Lord. Behold the means by which our salvation, our forgiveness have been procured and obtained for us. So the Lord's Supper 
it continues to feed us and nourish our souls spiritually as by faith we look beyond the symbols to the reality of Christ and we feed on him and our souls are strengthened and fortified. So to administer the supper, to administer the the sacrament of the Lord's Supper is again to minister Christ to his people. Because what else is it other than to bring Christ and present him once again, behold God who died for us. The sacraments make the covenant visible. The sacraments give us a means to participate in those things, and it is your duty and privilege and pleasure to be the one who administers those things to the people. So as you declare the gospel, you are declaring the covenant, and in so doing, you are declaring Christ. As you administer the sacraments, you are again ministering Christ because They are nothing other than pictures of him and reminders of him and means of his grace flowing to us. As you declare this message and administer these sacraments, you are a minister of the new covenant for the people of the covenant, and you minister Christ to them. But the covenant, the new covenant, is not just the gospel. It's also the law. In Jeremiah 31, one of the promises of the new covenant is, I will write my law on their hearts. And elsewhere in the prophets in Ezekiel, it talks about how God will cause us to walk in his commandments. He will cause us to walk in his ways and his statutes. And so as you declare the covenant, you also declare the law of Christ. God says, I will write my law on their hearts. What law is particularly and peculiarly God's law? It is the moral law, the law of nature that is summed up in the Ten Commandments. And so you are to declare the law of Christ to his people and say, this is the way that we are to walk. This is the path that we are to tread. This is the way in which we ought to go. And in so doing, you command Christ or you you minister Christ to his people because that holiness to which you call us is nothing other than the holiness that Jesus himself lived. So we're following Jesus as you tell us to obey the law. And 1 John says his commandments are not burdensome. So you do not teach or preach the law uh, as a hammer to God's people, but as a beautiful path of light and life and liberty. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, one of the last things he said was to teach his people who have heard the gospel and been baptized, to teach them to keep all the things I've commanded you. So the law of the covenant is not just the moral law or the law of nature summed up in the Ten Commandments. It's also all of those positive laws that Jesus has instituted for the order and the government and the benefit of his church. As an overseer of Christ's church, you must ensure that proper order is kept in the church and that everyone fulfills their duties and their places. This is to minister the new covenant Not just its promises, but also its commands. And in all of this, you are ministering Christ to his people. When you declare the gospel, when you administer the sacraments, and when you teach the law, you are ministering Christ to his people. In very specific ways, in very clear and distinct ways, in something that's not simply vague in general, such as minister Christ to his people. That's where we begin. 
but these are the specifics of what you ought to do and ought to have joy in doing because it is a joy to proclaim Christ and it is a joy to teach his laws and it is a joy to baptize and it is a joy to administer the supper and feed the faith of the faithful. Hayden, you need to know that you are a minister of Christ and his covenant. And knowing this, you can begin well. But secondly, the second thing that you ought to know in order to persevere well, number two, I minister with confidence in God's sufficiency. I minister with confidence in God's sufficiency. The ministry is a wonderful calling, but also a difficult calling, attended with, at times, many discouragements. And sometimes those discouragements will be seen in the mirror. As you look at yourself, other times it will be seen in those around you, the ones to whom you minister. But what does Paul say in our text about confidence and sufficiency? He says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. If you begin knowing I am a minister of Christ in his covenant, what helps you sustain is confidence in God's sufficiency to sustain you. Where do you find confidence and sufficiency as a minister of the new covenant? It's in Christ. It's in God. Paul says we have confidence through Christ. And he says that God has made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant and that this sufficiency is not found in us or based in us, but rather it is a sufficiency that comes from God himself. Hayden, God is able to uphold you and able to sustain you in the campaign to which he has called you because Jesus Christ is building his church and he is ruling and he is reigning. He is subduing all his enemies and ours and he is with us to the end of the age. Jesus Christ will accomplish his purposes through his covenant and through his ministers who administer his covenant. And you will find, Hayden, that as the years go by, your strength will fluctuate, your feelings will fluctuate. Sometimes counseling feels very difficult. Sometimes counseling feels easy. Sometimes sermon writing feels difficult. Sometimes sermon writing feels easy. Sometimes things flow. Sometimes things do not flow. <laughs> Sometimes you feel so ready and energized to do the work of the ministry. Other times you feel very unready. Lord, please help me. There are many things that will shake your confidence and make you doubt your sufficiency, but perhaps that's for the best because those many things will point you to Christ and his sufficiency. And all the things that change in you and all the things that change in the people around you, all the things that are changing everywhere around you, none of it changes God. And Christ's sufficiency and the sufficiency of God and the covenant that God has made with us, that never changes. You will fluctuate, but Christ and his covenant never will. The other day when we went to get our Christmas tree, 
the young men who were working in the lot were struggling to cut the bottoms of the trees because they had a small electric chainsaw that was clearly insufficient for the job. It was not sharp enough or powerful enough to cut just the base off of a fairly small trunk of a Christmas tree. They were struggling, struggling, struggling to do this. They did not have powerful enough tools, sufficient tools for the work that they were called to do. And your earthly tools may fail you. In fact, when your computer breaks, sermon writing becomes quite difficult. However, Christ and his covenant will never fail you or be insufficient. God's sufficiency is never exhausted, and confidence in Christ is never betrayed. Jesus will never have to apologize to you and say, I'm sorry I couldn't sustain you. I'm sorry I couldn't help you. What will help you to persevere in the ministry despite its discouragements from time to time? This is not to describe the ministry as a discouraging work, but when there are discouragements or difficulties, what will sustain you? It is Christ's sufficiency. It is God's power. And of course, this is not a fallback. And Hayden, when you're no longer good enough, then you can fall back on Jesus Christ. No, this is the start and the, and the uh, sustaining and the finish. This is everything. Don't wait for a bad day to rely on Christ's efficiency. Rely on him every day. You minister with confidence in God's su- sufficiency. Well, hand in hand with this, you need to know in the third place, I minister with the power to give life. I minister with the power to give life. One of the greatest joys of the ministry is to know that we announce eternal life to sinners. We present, we announce, we we bring near to them eternal life. Ministers convert sinners to Christ through the gospel. And these sinners thus converted to Christ, now saints, we shepherd them all the way to the celestial city. We're not selling anything. We're not amassing a following. To minister Christ and his covenant is to minister life to a dying world. And you must minister with a self-conscious realization that there is a divine power in the ministry when you minister Christ and his covenant. And that divine power gives eternal life. Paul says that God has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. The Old Covenant written in stone on tablets, the letters of that law, the letters of the Old Covenant commanded but gave no power to fulfill those commands. And so those who could not fulfill them, therefore, not having the power to do so, are condemned by that letter written in stone. The Old Covenant is is perfectly good, but it condemns those who are bad. And so the Old Covenant kills. The letter simply commands kills. But the new covenant with the power of the spirit gives life. 
What kind of life? Everlasting life. Eternal life. The new covenant, therefore, not only calls us to Christ, but it also, by the power of the Holy Spirit, enables us to hear the call of Christ and to see him and receive him by faith. So the new covenant carries the power with it to convert and to save sinners. As you declare the message of the gospel gospel or the promises of the covenant, salvation in Jesus, you're not simply repeating empty words that don't do anything. There is divine power in the message of the gospel that brings sinners to life. And what does... What is the testimony of the scriptures to this? In Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, it says, And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. The apostles preach, the apostles teach, the apostles declare the good news in Jesus Christ. And who is adding to the number? Those who are being saved, it says, and the Lord, Jesus Christ. But I thought that Jesus was ascended and and seated at the right hand of God. Yes, absolutely. But what did he promise? And lo, I will be with you even to the end of the age. And he sent his Holy Spirit to accompany the ministry of his church with power such that he is saving his people and adding them to the number. And you minister with that power. You declare the gospel that has the power to give life. The Holy Spirit works through the new covenant to save sinners. I will put my spirit within them, the new covenant says. And thus brought to Christ and saved, you also minister with a power that preserves that life to the very end. To sanctify those who have been saved. As you minister, there are people who will attend and yet not bow the knee to Jesus Christ. They will come and they will hear the message of the gospel, but they will refuse to believe in him. They will refuse to repent of their sins, and they are guilty for their own unbelief. But do not despair when they do not believe, because you minister with the power to give life, and all those who are ordained unto eternal life will indeed come to it. There will be discipline cases, private or public, that will be discouraging to you and seem hopeless at times. But do not despair because you minister with the power to give life. So that person who rejects the gospel today, we don't know how long, but there will come a time, if it is the Lord's will, that their heart will be melted. And that person who seems obstinate and stubborn and refuses to submit or to repent, the Lord will work on them if they are his sheep, and they indeed will be restored and preserved. If it's up to you and your power to do these things, then you're going to have to invest in a lot of rhetoric and acting classes and just try to be the most persuasive and eloquent person ever such that people just like to hear you and they're here because they like you. And if you want to to move people in counseling situations and you just want to get it done, then you're going to have to be intimidating and intense and overpowering so that they just give in and give up. But neither of those powers is the power that you ought to exercise. Neither of those powers actually saves or sanctifies. The one gets you a following of fans. The other gets you a following of those who fear you. But the power of the gospel and the law and the new covenant is to save sinners who see Christ and are drawn to Christ. And those who see the beauty of the law and love Christ and are restored to Christ. 
And you need to have confidence that there is divine power in each of these situations to bring sinners to new life and to preserve and protect and restore saints to that life that Jesus has given to them. And this power, divine power in the new covenant, does not exhaust. It's inexhaustible, and it's always there. Nehemiah Cox said, Those that Christ employs in his work may expect his gracious presence and assistance in all the difficulties that do attend it. For this we have his word, Lo, I am with you to the end of the world. Therefore, to begin and to sustain and to finish, Hayden, you must know that you are a minister of Christ and his covenant, that you minister with confidence in God's sufficiency, and that you minister with the power to give life. Minister Christ to us through his covenant with us. Minister Christ to us through his covenant with us with confidence in his all-sufficiency. And what will happen? You will bring men and women to eternal life, and you will bring sheep all the way to eternal life according to God's will and by his power. Hayden, these things will help you to begin and to sustain and to finish. And now I direct myself to all of us as members of this congregation in which and to which Hayden will be shepherding. What are our duties towards Hayden since he is one of our pastors? Three things. Firstly, honor him, his office, and his work. Honor him, his office, and his work. As we've said, Hayden is a homegrown pastor. And ministering in a church where you grew up or where you've been known from a very young age has both advantages and disadvantages. One of the challenges of ministering in a church in which you grew up or where you were known from a young age is that people may struggle to view you as an authority figure. You're always the little kid to them. And Paul commanded Timothy not to let anyone despise him for his age. And so we as members of this church who are now under Hayden's Hayden's ministry must not make any issue out of his age. Rather, we must honor Hayden. We must honor him, and we must honor his office, And we honor him and his office because when it comes to the ministry, one who is worthy of the office ought to be worthy of honor in himself. And if the congregation did not think Hayden worthy of honor in himself and therefore in the office, then they should have and would have voted very differently just a few weeks ago. In other words, by voting in favor of him, the whole congregation has has noted him and acknowledged him and affirmed him to be worthy of honor in himself and therefore worthy of honor in the office. But let me say this, that at times people vote in favor of someone, yet with a certain mental reservation. I will acknowledge him as a pastor, but he's not really my pastor. And let none of us do this. Each one of us owes Hayden the honor that is due to him personally and officially, officially as in in his office. 
because he as a pastor occupies a superior place to us in the structure of the authority of the church. And in that place and position, he is worthy of the honor due to it. It is our duty to honor him as a pastor. We honor the man, we honor the office, and we honor the work that he does. Paul says, esteem them, the pastors, very highly for their work. And as Hayden ministers Christ and his covenant to us, as when that is the work that he does, and when we see Hayden ministering Christ and his covenant to us and all the details previously mentioned, it ought to induce us to a greater honor for him and appreciation of him. Why? Because that's what he's supposed to do, and that's exactly what we should want him to do. In fact, what else would we want Hayden to do? Sing and dance? Definitely not. Sometimes the faithfulness of a minister includes confrontation and correction. And even in this, we need to honor him. Nehemiah Cox said, And let not his faithfulness in admonishing you cause an abatement of your love to him, But if you love your own salvation, let it rather raise your esteem of him. With Isaiah 52 and Romans 10 in mind, Cox continued. He said, he that brings to you the good tidings of salvation and publishes peace deserves to have his feet esteemed beautiful and to be received with the love and respect that's due to so good a message and the bringer of it. Isn't it always a little bit strange the way that Isaiah 52, quoted by Paul in Romans 10, talks about feet being beautiful? (laughs) How beautiful are the feet of those that bring the good news of the gospel and publish peace? But what it means is someone that brings near unto you the good news, who brings near unto you the message. Even the means that brought them here are regarded beautiful. Their feet brought them here, and what they brought is goodness. So we, down to the feet, we would consider them beautiful. In other words, everything they do because of their work Because they bring the good message, we honor that person. We honor the man. We honor the office. We honor the work of the ministry. And it's a great joy and a privilege to do that work, to minister Christ to his people. And the people should love that minister that ministers Christ to them. Sir, we desire to see Jesus. And when the minister presents Jesus to the congregation and fades in a sense, from their view, and you forget the man and you are are pointed rather to Jesus Christ, then we've accomplished our purpose. This is not the place, the pulpit is not the place, nor is the pastorate the office for someone to exalt themselves and uh, seek personal loyalties and followings. And so as we see a minister faithfully not doing those things, but rather pointing us to Christ We ought to honor him for it. Secondly, we must submit to him. For as many times as we've repeated this in our study of 1 Peter, it it needs to be said whenever we come to this, but submission is about order, structure. And as I said, Hayden now occupies a superior place or position in the order of the church. And that place has been given authority by Jesus Christ to set the church in order and to teach the church in doctrine and morals 
and to correct the church in doctrine and morals, the pastors, Hayden included, have a peculiar and particular authority, peculiar meaning just for them, authority to do this. And he occupies that place, that superior place, to us as members. Therefore, our duty as those who are inferior in place to him in the church, our duty is to follow him in that capacity and submit to him in that capacity and in that authority. When Hayden, as a pastor, sets the church in order, we need to march in that order. We need to obey and follow. When Hayden teaches God's word, we need to obey and follow. Because in each case, whether it's the order of the church or the doctrine or the practice of the Christian, assuming that Hayden is ministering the new covenant faithfully according to the word of God, whom are we ultimately following? It's Jesus Christ. In submitting to Hayden, we submit to Jesus Christ on the assumption that Hayden is faithfully being a minister of Christ in calling us to believe or to do this or that. So when we say submit to Hayden, it's submit to Hayden as a minister of Christ. And it, it is exclusively within that capacity of Hayden as a minister of Christ that we submit to him. His personal opinions about this or that or the other thing outside of the doctrine and practice of the Christian, things indifferent or things, uh, things outside, don't really matter. They matter in terms of our friendship and getting to know him and him as a person, the things he likes or the things that he thinks about this and that. They matter on a personal level, level as friends and as brothers and sisters in Christ. But those things are not what Hayden is to bring into the pulpit. You don't need them. You shouldn't want them. And so when Hayden speaks to us in the capacity, either from the pulpit or outside of it, from the capacity of a minister with the authority of God's word, our duty and responsibility to him is not just to honor him and say, yes, yes, I acknowledge you as pastor, I honor you as pastor, but to actually submit and follow and obey according to the mind of Christ. It's, it's a constant reality that children to parents or wives to husbands or members to pastors and, and other similar uh, structures of authority, people will always say they're in submission until they really have to submit. And so point one, honor him. Everyone said, oh, of course, we honor Hayden. Yes. And then submit to, oh, yes, of course, we'll submit to him. But when he corrects us, when he confronts us, when he teaches us, we actually have to do that. We have to follow through and submit to his ministry as he ministers Christ and his covenant. Thirdly and lastly, pray for him. At least three times, probably more, but at least three times, Paul, in his letters, asks for prayer. For example, in 1 Thessalonians 5.25, Paul says, Brothers, pray for us. In 2 Thessalonians verses 3.1-2, Paul says, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. Pray for us. And in Hebrews 13, 18, Paul said, Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. Paul wants prayer. He wants prayer. He wants prayer. 
If the apostles of Christ needed prayer, the ministers of Christ, 2,000 years later, we need prayer. (laughs) You may say, but God is all sufficient to supply Hayden's needs. God's power is all sufficient to equip Hayden to do everything he needs to do. Yes, that's true. But one of the ways in which God accomplishes his will and his purposes is through prayer. We have to pray that Hayden would rely upon Christ's confidence in Christ and God's all-sufficiency, that Hayden would be faithful in ministering the covenant to us. But doesn't God foreordain whatsoever comes to pass? Has he not decreed all things in an immutable decree? Yes, that's true. Within that decree, one of the ways in which he's ordained that things will happen is through prayer. And if Paul asks for prayer time and time again, then we ought to pray for Hayden and all the pastors because it's one of the ways in which God will answer those prayers and accomplish his purposes. And the reality is that in praying for God to bless Hayden, what's one of the the consequences or effects of that? It's that God will bless us. (laughs) If Hayden's ministry is blessed, who gets the blessing? We do. If If you prayed... And please make mom's cooking good. <laughs> Who gets to enjoy that blessing? The people that eat it. That's, that's not a concern in my home, but you get the, the, the analogy. You get the analogy that when the chef makes a good dinner, it's the people eating it who get to enjoy it. So also, if we pray for Hayden to be blessed in his ministry, we're the ones who profit and benefit. So is this a selfish prayer? No. <laughs> it is a, a, a circular or mutual prayer. We have to pray for him. We could go into all kinds of detail about how and what we should pray for. Now's, now's not the time, but you can at least think of the first three points that were given to Hayden and pray for him according to those points. Our blessedness is wrapped up in his blessedness or in his God's blessing on his ministry. So let's pray for him to begin well and to sustain well and to finish well so that we will be sustained and we can finish well as we walk together in this pilgrim's progress to the celestial city. In conclusion, brothers and sisters, we've briefly surveyed a charge to Hayden and a charge to the congregation. Traditionally, these would have been split into two sermons, in the morning a charge to the elder, in the afternoon a charge to the congregation. But we're so abundantly blessed, we have more ordinations to do in the afternoon. And so that's why they've been combined into one sermon. So to repeat... Hayden is a minister of Christ and his covenant, and he ought to minister with confidence in God's sufficiency to bless his ministry with the power to give life. And we, as Christ's sheep, must honor him as a minister, submit to him as a minister, and pray for him as a minister. Let us thank God for our new pastor, and let us pray for more men to be raised up to minister in our midst for the glory of Christ and the good of his church. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we once again thank you and praise you for this day and its many blessings and joys. We pray for our dear brother Hayden that you would indeed help him to minister with a self-conscious identity that he is a minister of Christ and of Christ's covenant to the people of Christ, the people of Christ's covenant. We pray that you would 
Help him to minister in a way that relies upon your all-sufficiency that can sustain him in the regular labors as well as the occasional difficulties and discouragements that arise in the course of the ministry. We pray that you would help him to minister with a self-conscious understanding of your power that accompanies the means that you have ordained. You have not given him impotent means. You have not given him useless means, but rather you have given him and equipped him with everything that he needs and all the power that is necessary to fulfill his ministry and accomplish your purposes, the purposes for which you have called him. And we pray that you would help us as a congregation to honor him, to honor his office and his work, to submit to him and to pray for him. And that we would not simply do this in the moment when it is brought to mind now and it is fresh in the mind, but rather that we would be faithful to continue to honor him and submit to him and pray for him. That there would be no honeymoon period, but rather a solid and continuing relationship of member to pastor and pastor to member. Lord, we pray that you would help us all to grow in maturity, to grow in faith, to grow in hope, and to grow in love together that you would use Hayden to bless us in these ways. Please raise up more men to serve us and minister to us. We pray this in Jesus' name.